Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours. We are the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., broadcasting to you from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona, although today... We are working remote. Uh, we have guests joining us from the UK. I'm working out of the home office, and our team is working out of the studio in Tempe. I'm your host, PMO Joe, and for the next hour, we'll be talking project management. Before we get into the show, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, the PMO Squad. Uh, they're working right now to set up some free programs to assist businesses dealing with the current coronavirus pandemic we're dealing with. And these programs are going to be able to help businesses and individuals during these times. Be sure to review their website and newsletters for update. You can visit www.thepmosquad.com to get more information in the coming days. And now we're going to jump into the show. So I'm really excited to have with us, joining us from the UK, our special guest, Suzanne Madsen. Welcome, Susan. Yeah, sure. I am currently dialing in from my home office in London, and um, pandemic or not, this is probably where I would be sitting either way. I have been managing projects and programs for between 20 and 25 years. It makes me feel old and sound old. But for the last seven years, I have been running um, more leadership programs. I've been coaching project managers full time, so really swapped uh, to more of a coaching, uh, leadership coaching role. Well, yeah, that, so that's much. kind of a very brief introduction. Yes, well, thank you so much for joining us. And again, it's great to be able to have an international guest with us this week so that we do get an international perspective uh, to what's happening with the pandemic. Of course, here in the U.S., we have been hit uh, now over 200,000 cases positive and and uh, 5,000 plus deaths that have come from this in the UK has unfortunately been hit pretty hard as well. As you and I talked a month or so ago, uh, you had mentioned one of the things in your coaching that you help with is dealing project managers dealing with stress, and certainly we're confronted with this now. How, how has this affected you personally and professionally? So actually, I've been very much impacted because I do some coaching from home so i use i use skype normally or zoom and and that kind of that's kind of a smaller part of what i do i would say and that's that's not been impacted but i run an enormous amount of leadership training programs project management trainings and i travel extensively and all of that has been postponed that they're all very careful to say it hasn't been cancelled but effectively it has because they book me several times a year so um, I was actually due to go to Venice about, I don't know if it's three or four weeks ago now, but it was just when, I don't know if, if you guys knew, but they uh, canceled the Venice carnival in the last couple of days. And I was due to go that week. And actually my suitcase was packed and my parents texted me and said, are you not due to go to Venice this week? Oh, wow. Uh, and I was like, um, yep. Why do you ask? Well, we worry about the virus. I said, virus? That's only in China, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and they said, are you not watching the news? And I wasn't. 
And uh, basically, I got hold of my client. So this was, um, I'm running um, project management training for Electrolux globally. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with Electrolux. Yeah, absolutely. This is a a plant, the plant I go to, they used to produce 10,000 washing machines a day. And I've been into their production unit. It's absolutely uh, fascinating. Now they've outsourced some of that to, um, to Romania. But they still do about uh, five to six thousand washing machines a day. So it's mainly engineers down there are trained. Anyhow, my 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 trip got cancelled after that. My trip to Holland, the leadership program I'm running in Holland, uh, everything has been postponed and put on hold. I was due to go um, to Slovenia to uh, speak for the PMI, and I was due to um, for the PMI. We were going to do a conference plus workshops. The conference, the PMI changed that within. 10 days, they changed it from being a live conference to an online conference. You know, PMI are run by volunteers. They'd never yeah. done this before. It was really, really well done. And uh, we did it all via, well, d- different types. We, we recorded via Zoom. I th- they used um, YouTube live link to um, broadcast it. Mm-hmm. And yesterday, my workshop was moved to yesterday. It was about stress management. And for the first time ever, I did a two and a half hour workshop online because Zoom has this ability to do breakout rooms. Yeah. So that's what's happened on my side. So up until now, I would say I've been busy rearranging stuff. And from now on, there's just like this emptiness in my diary, which is both uh, fascinating, interesting and, and very unusual. Well, and and as I guess that unusualness and the unknown, right? Because we don't know how this will wind down, when this will wind down, and of course, that impacts all of us, right? I mean, you're drawing your income from these trips and all that, so it adds additional stress. Stress, and you're comfortable working from home, but not everybody is. A lot of people are used to going in the office. So, do you have any tips or tricks or what works for you that maybe you could share with others who aren't as comfortable working from home? Well, there's some practicalities and there is there's something there's some physicalities and then there is the whole mind, what what we're thinking in our minds. So first of all, I know that some people are sharing workspaces with their spouses and they're not set up for that. And that's obviously very tricky. At the same time, they have to look after their kids. And yesterday on the con- on the workshop I was running, some of the participants, we could see their kids around them. They were on mute, but their kids were like wanted to be with their with their um with their parents and I think it's okay because it's almost happening to everybody I was coaching one of my clients today and she's like I'm not as effective as I used to be because I have to keep an eye on my two boys and it's okay we can't we can't hold ourselves to the same standards I'm very sorry but we can't not if our working environment has changed so dramatically I'm very fortunate I have my home office set up as you rightly said I'm comfortable here but for people who are not so comfortable. I think, first of all, they have to accept that things are changing. And if they have to look after their kids or if they have to share their workspace, the sooner they accept it and stop beating themselves up. So I think that's that's the first thing. Obviously, they can try to, to arrange themselves to make it more comfortable. But I think what's more interesting is what's happening in our minds. Mm. Because we can come up with a lot of limiting beliefs or anxiety about what's happening or focusing on what's going wrong. And and I've actually heard that the divorce rates in, in New York City is up by 50% already. And in China, they're up by 30%. I have no idea if that's true. Don't quote me on it. <laughs> 
But it says something about the stress that people are under and, and, and getting closer closer together. Yeah, I know yeah. Uh, just from my own personal experience, we have four children and they're here in Arizona, they close the schools for the year. So they have to do distance learning. So they're still in school, but they're doing it from home. And I had to let everybody know, hey, I'm about to go on my radio show uh, and I have four dogs in the house. So it's, can everybody keep the dogs quiet? Can the kids stay off the internet for the next hour to make sure I've got good bandwidth? Uh, and again, I have an office as well, so I'm isolated. I don't have to worry about them coming in to bother me. But that's stuff we didn't have to worry about before. And then we get inundated with the numbers, the counts, how many cases, how many deaths, how many where it's spreading to different countries. So I started each morning now going on a, a walk without looking at my phone so that at least I know I'm not waking up to numbers that are going to impact my day and increase the stress and anxiety. Uh, and that's really helped. That's been a lot of help. Is yeah. there, what else do you have out there in, uh, in your toolbox maybe to help other you know, techniques for people uh, to help with that anxiety or that stress to, to try to overcome that? Yeah, so I think we... Um Project managers are very aware, I think, of risk management techniques. Yeah. And risk management techniques are quite fairly logical. So it's about what's the likelihood of something happening and what's the impact in case it happens. And I, I don't mean to go all processy on something here, but, but I think we can use it because the likelihood of something happening to us is probably still quite low if we stay at home, stay safe, and, 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 and take the precautions. I think what, what is important with risk management techniques and why I mention it is because with risk management, we focus on what we can do to minimize the risk. And after that, we have to accept it. You know, what can you do to minimize the risk of, of getting a virus, for instance? Well, you can, we know what the advice is, right? Stay at home, wash your hands, protect yourself. Yeah. And after that, I think we have to trust that we, are, we have done what we can do. And as you're saying, not watch uh, all the death number, you know, the, the number of deaths and, and not uh, watch the news excessively because it's only adding to the anxiety. So instead, try to focus on what we can do. So I've done everything I can to minimize the, the risk of this happening to me. What can I now focus on? What's the opportunity that's opening up to me? Mm -hmm. The people I coach, they're in a different situation. Some people are very, very busy at the moment because they're busy firefighting, because they're busy... Uh, changing their projects around, changing funding around. Um, and 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 so there, there's a little bit of um, crisis management. Other people are not so busy. And their mind, there's even more scope now for their mind to go off and worry. And this is where I think it's really important. What is the opportunity to you? There's always opportunities. You know, as we even know, every risk has a threat and an opportunity. What do we what do we choose to focus on? So for me personally, I think the opportunities are slowing down. You know, a friend of mine in, in, in Amsterdam, where they're all working from home now, looking after their four-year-old, in spite of it being very challenging, she said to me, but after all, this is there's more slow living now. Slow living, I love it. Yeah. So for me, I do exactly like you. I get out in the morning. We've been very blessed with amazing weather. In London for the last two weeks, it's very unusual. No traffic is very unusual. No planes. I've never, ever experienced it. What an opportunity. I go out in the morning, and then I focus on doing more meditation. You know, I, I, I was secretly hoping that I would 
I could slow down a little bit because I've been traveling a lot, you know, sometimes it's every week. Yeah. So the opportunity is to review, stop, evaluate, look inwards, breathe, deep breathing. And I think for so many people, we forget that that breath is right there with us and, and tapping into it and, and, and feeling, focusing on how calm we can be when we really focus inwards. Yeah, I think that's great advice, This the slowing down piece of it. And it it makes me think, again, I'm home with four kids and and uh, in their mind, they don't understand. It's almost like they're on summer break, you know, and I have to explain to them, no, you're still in school, but you're not in school all day like you would be. You're here. So what if we played a card game? What if we turned PE class into cleaning the garage or something where we're actually working together. I have usually the majority of my day is away from my family. So now I have an opportunity, albeit the situation is horrible, but I'm with my family and to take that opportunity to spend more time, I think can take our mind away from some of the the bad that's going and focus on the positive. Like you said, let's, let's think of the opportunity as opposed to threat. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we, we jumped into this conversation, I guess, because it's just so present in everybody's life today. But we didn't I didn't really get a chance to ask you about you and and your story. How did how did you actually get to where you're at today? What is what is the Susan Madsen story that brought us to this conversation? Right. So let me try not to go back too far. But actually, uh, perhaps it is relevant to say that I am actually Danish. And I have lived in England for 20 years, and I've been a project manager for all of those years. In, in, in the beginning, it was consulting. Then I started working in finance, uh, always as a project and program manager. And um, let's just go back like about 10 years to the last financial crisis, just before 2006, 2008. I was running the biggest program for the, the investment bank where I was working. And it was unbelievably stressful talking about stress. And uh, But I was very lucky towards the end of the program. Actually, I went on a leadership um, course. It was a five-day residential course. And will you believe it? It took place the same week as the Lehman Brothers went bust. I think it was early September 2008. Oh. I remember it very clearly because we had stress like we have stress today. I can only and, imagine. And yeah. everything collapsed. The banks collapsed and, and, and nobody knew what, what was going to happen. But what I remember from that leadership course was that it was the first time I was coached. It was such an unbelievably powerful experience to me because I came to this coaching conversation, which was just one hour long with, I'm stressed, help me out, what should I do? And the person who was coaching me did nothing but ask me some insightful questions that really made me reflect. And at the end of the one hour, I had a complete aha moment which has carried me through to today, actually, because that aha moment wasn't that I knew exactly what to do or how to manage my overwhelm. It was more a a deep feeling of, wow, I can change something. And what I realized was, if I decide to go home at five o'clock or six o'clock, I can do it. It's only my mind holding me back. It's all in my mind. And that was this mind-boggling very empowering thought that came up in me. So I left this five-day leadership course feeling very empowered with with a couple of insights. Number one, project managers need leadership. Number two, coaching is is magical. And I I went off, 
I enrolled myself on a free two-day uh, weekend course. At the end of the course, I spent £5,000 signing up to the whole program, which is probably, what, US dollars or something like that? Right about that, yeah. And I thought I'd been brainwashed. I was very worried. But <laughs> as it turned out, it was one of the best decisions. So I became a coach. I started coaching my fellow um, project managers in the bank. And uh, whilst I was still doing my day job, so I, I had this test bed, I could use the meeting rooms to coach. And uh, little by little, one step after the other, I began to write my first book uh, because the people I was coaching, they were like, can you not put this down somehow, write it? You know, you're asking so many questions. Can I not get it in, in a different format? So um, everything grew from, from that, really. Well, it's, uh, I think you, part of your story, I think we can all relate to, right? The, dealing with the stresses of projects and trying to find relief of how to overcome that. And, and then having an aha moment in your career that then you then change. For me, similar about seven years ago, was tired of corporate America, not because of what I was doing, but I always had organizational leaders who didn't really understand project management. So it was always a fight to try to get the type of support that we needed to be able to execute on projects, which they approved, right? We were just executing for what they approved, but they wouldn't give us the support we need. And I would always, we would, they, we'd always request for us to bring in consultants to help us. And I was like, why are we, why do you want us to bring in a consultant? You have a team right here that's willing to help. And it was one of those sessions where I had the aha moment of, why am I not one of these consultants? My own organization is willing to pay more money to bring in an outside perspective rather than listening to our internal perspective. It's time for me to leave corporate America and go work with organizations who want to value the experience that we have. So uh, not the same story as yours, but a similar aha moment brings me to a career change. And then, uh, and then you go along with that and you see where it brings you. And now you have a radio show, right? I mean, the unknown things happen. And that makes me very curious to ask you, Joe, because when you make such a change, surely there must have been some fear as well, because I had some fears. You, you know, you've had this corporate paycheck for a long time. And I know how I overcame my fear. How did you overcome your fear, if you had one, of this newness and and earning money doing doing your new, you know, being a consultant? Yeah, I mean, it was full of fear. We, I was the sole provider for our family. My wife was a stay-at-home mom. Again, we had four children, so some of them were still rather young at the time. And the first way I overcame the fear, before I even started the gig. Uh, as a consultant was getting my wife's buy-in that she was okay to take the journey with me. So I didn't have to wonder if I fail, how is my spouse going to react to this? And her message to me was simple. She said, Joe, just don't fail. Right. I mean, she, you know, she kind of put it in the simplest terms is you've always been successful at what you've done. You've been able to climb the corporate ladder. You were a successful athlete before you did all of that. Everything you've done, you've gone in fully committed to be successful. So just go in with that mindset and I, I trust you, I support you, we're going to make that work. And so getting her to say that before I started helped alleviate some of the stresses. Wonderful. But then as you take on employees, uh, you know, I started out as an individual, but then when you take on employees, now it's a bigger stress because, you know, periods that we're in right now, you have to worry about how am I going to support those other families? How are we going to make sure that 
they're taken care of, right? That we're treating them the right way. You know, sometimes you can't do that. And that, and that, that creates a different stress, right? Then beyond just the project, it's the organizational stress you have to deal with. From you and your perspective, as you've dealt with this, you said you've written some books on this. I mean, what, what are, uh, we want people to go buy those books, of course, uh, but what are some nuggets that you can share with them that are a bit of a teaser that would want us to, to go out there and, and learn more what you have in that book? Or books, rather. Yeah, so I think that obviously there's a lot of literature out there on on project management, and I'm not really the book doesn't really compete on that market. It's not a, it's not a process book. So my my second book, which is the one I'm I'm most proud of, the Power of Project Leadership. Actually, uh, I've just been told yesterday that they've sold the rights to Polish now. So it's gonna it's gonna be translated into Polish. <laughs> oh wow! I mean, it's my heritage. Maybe uh, somebody in my family can uh, pick up that copy and. <laughs> Oh, it's, it's already in Chinese. So there's a first edition that was translated into Chinese. Now they've 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 bought the right to translate it again, the second edition into Chinese. So that's that's all very interesting. So the book the book is I think quite separately about leadership, leadership and projects. So there's a lot of leadership books out there about corporate leadership and leading a department, but that's not a project. So the book really is about how do I how do I do that? How do I lead my team? How do I lead my stakeholders? How do I have challenging conversations? How do I how do I lead with what I call lead with vision? So how do I um, inspire the team to follow? How do I? There's also something else about managing my time, looking inwards. How do I? What about being authentic? That's one of the seven keys I have in there. So, in the book, really tries to cover the full spectrum from uh, looking inwards, managing myself and my time and my stress to leading others. And one of the seven keys actually is on tools, on, on powerful um, techniques, because we need those. Even in leadership, we need, there's a space for the management, but only a space. You know, we need just enough process. And after that, it's all about the people. So, yeah, we, uh, and, sorry, go on. I was going to say, well, one of our uh, guests we had on, I guess it was a year or two ago, Laura Bernard, uh, she had talked about how she's trying to make this uh, push at one point to change our titles even, right? Stop calling us project managers, call us project leaders. And uh, the importance of doing that, because we're really, we're not managing a project. It's people, right? We're leading people to execute a project, right? And I think that speaks well to what you were just describing. I would say some people do that, yeah, but not everyone. So the top three mistakes that I write about in the book is, number one, we focus, we put uh, um, tasks over people. So, so many people are very task oriented. And when, this, uh, when, when things need to be delivered, they look down instead of looking up and out. And when there's a crisis or something to be done, they look down at their computer. They don't look up and out at the people who need information. I think a lot of project managers are quite task oriented. And rightly so, they have focus on the goal and what needs to be delivered. But they could do with a bit more focus generally, okay, we're generalizing here, on the people side. And so that's really what, that's really the gap I'm trying to um, to, to bridge there. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, it goes back to, again, conversation we had with Ruth Pierce and, and several others we've had on the show, but Ruth 
talks about strengths uh, within our team members and understanding again that yes, we have to execute tasks to be able to deliver the project, but the people are the ones delivering those. And how do we work with our teammates to understand their strengths? Because if we communicate the same way with each team member, we're probably going to be missing out uh, on how to appropriately work with them. Uh, and you know, it makes me think again. You mentioned all the things that got canceled. Uh, Ruth Pierce was on her way out here to Arizona. We were going to be having the Arizona State University Project Management Summit. Um, and then I was going to be heading to Boston University in June to be speaking there with Rich Maltzman, uh, another guest we've had on the show. Um, so all of us are, you know, we're trying to get out there and help and, and provide education and guidance and leadership to folks. Uh, but this darn virus is uh, getting in the way of everything. Yeah, and I'm, I'm very familiar both with Rich and Ruth. They're, they're great. They're great um, colleagues, I would say. Yeah. And uh, I, have, I have her book, The Strength Finder, actually uh, with me. I totally agree to what she says also, you know, we, we, need, we need to focus more on people. One of the things that I observe when I, when I coach and when I train in, in, in this topic is on the project managers who are on point, on the topic, they like to talk about what needs to get delivered. Well, obviously, right? It's the, yeah. it's the tasks that need to be done. It's, it's the um, what steps we need to take to get there. It is um, the requirements, all of that stuff that we need to talk about. But they're not very good at talking about behaviors or, God forbid, feelings. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I try a lot to get people to do is to do all the task stuff because we need to do it. But in addition to that, talk about what we expect from each other. And this also actually comes back to stress because well, it comes back to everything. But let's take stress as an example because we've been talking about that. One thing I often say to people with stress is you need to set your own your own ground rules. You need to set your own boundaries. You've got to understand what you what you say yes to, what you say no to, what times you want to work, what what time do you close your laptop? What during which times do you do you check your email, etc.? Everybody's got to have their own their own ground rules. But what's also, or should I say, and what's also interesting is setting those ground rules with the team. What kind of culture do we want? Yeah, we know that we're going to deliver X, Y, Z, but what kind of culture do we want? How do we pick up on each other's stress levels? What do we do when we see somebody struggling? What time is it? What time is it acceptable for us to send and respond to emails? If you send me an email by 9 p.m., am I expected to answer it? If you call me at seven, is it? Am I expected to go on a conference call at 7 a.m. in the morning? I know that the Americans do it sometimes because of Europe, but here we don't, you know, it shouldn't be done in Europe. So having those conversations about what we expect from each other and how we are feeling about the project, all of that good stuff is not easy for people to articulate. I'm curious what what your um, your experiences are. Yeah, I think you, you've touched on a lot of key points there. And I also uh, would add into that, rewarding people when they do the the behaviors we've set that mm-hmm. are our standard, um, having reward systems in place. So I, I remember a big project that we were doing with a client. We allowed the team to select a team member of the week, the person who contributed. And it wasn't the project leader who was doing it. It was somebody within the team. And whoever won the award for being the best contributor that week, they would nominate the person the next week. 
So it was a, a continuous process of re reward systems within the team and not coming from leadership. So we had an opportunity to congratulate each other and take a moment out of the stress and have a celebration of what we were doing well. And it was all um, based on the criteria we had set up, right? How would we communicate? How would we get work done? So oftentimes the, the leader would select somebody who may have been behind on a task. It wasn't based on you were able to execute your tasks on time. It was who showed the right team spirit, who was who encouraged somebody, who was a person that was willing to go above and beyond what their own work may have been. And getting those opportunities for the teammates to be able to interact in that way allowed the team to be able to show some of that strength, right? the, the collective of the team, and, and lift each other up as opposed to the constant measurements of how well are we doing to schedule and to budget. Mm. It reminds me of something I heard this week, and I think it touches going a little bit off topic, but not really, of how we keep the team motivated now that they are in different locations. Mm. Some teams obviously have been working remotely for a while, so it's, it's you know they're used to it. But still, it begs the question, how do we, especially if we're not used to it, um, keep people connected with each other, not physically connected, like not, not technically connected, but, but um, kind of um, more emotionally connected. And um, what I heard, well, let me first share with you what I did many years ago to keep, to keep, to work with remote teams. So I had, a t I was obviously located in London. I had a team, I think three different locations in India and a team in Belfast in Northern Ireland. So what I asked everybody, and I think we were about 20 over 20 people across those locations. And I asked everybody to send me a picture of themselves and a little blurb about what they um, were doing in their spare time, strictly only in their spare time. And these were people who had never met in person. And I put together a PowerPoint presentation just with, let's say, three people per slide, picture and what they like to do in their spare time. And it became such a talking point because it turned out that we had two people who wanted to cross the Atlantic. We had um, several people who'd done skydiving and we had one person who could play 21 instruments. Oh, wow. <laughs> and you know, I still remember today, 10 years later, because it was funny, it was interesting and it was personal. And we gave it to our business uh, sponsor because she kept saying, why do we need all those developers in India? Can't you just cut some of them? She had no relationship. She hadn't seen a picture of them. So that was what I used to do. But I heard another tip this week on a, on a call. And what the person said was, he'd asked everybody from his team to share a picture, any picture, could be anything. So on a call, one person at a time, you know, so one call, it would be one person, next call, it would be another person. So they did a rotation. And the person could talk about whatever they wanted. And I remember the, they expected this person who was an army of uh, ex-army officer to talk about his days in the army, but he didn't. He, he showed a picture of his wife and he talked about how they met or whatever. And the idea is that people connect with something that's personal and you reach out to others, you share something. You know, I've, I've um, read a lot about high-performing teams and one of the differences between a high-performing team and a, and, a, and a not so high-performing team, I mean, there are many differences, but one of them is that in a high-performing team, we care about each other's goals, not just work goals, but personal goals. So if you want to run a marathon, I'm interested in that. We might set up, the team might set up a way to 
track your your progress towards the marathon if you want to lose weight you know and i think that's so wonderful is when people really connect and and they they have those common you know they're interested in each other and and track personal goals i think that's wonderful yeah i i relate to that that's why we created uh, within the pmo squad where we created our signature product the purpose driven pmo and that's to bring the organization and the team members together to a common purpose right because so often we get focused on executing projects and the projects of course there's a purpose to doing the project but the project is usually a symptom or a, or a fix for what the underlying purpose may be i t- tell the story when i go talk often about a uh, organization that produces heart stents stents that, that go into your heart um, and the leaders of that organization were concerned because their production had kind of plateaued. They weren't getting the same output, uh, growth and output that they wanted to. So they brought in a consulting firm to work with them, uh, paid a large amount of money to bring the consultants in. And at the end of uh, two months worth of work, they asked the consultants, what's your solution? How are we going to be able to get on an upward slope again? And the, the uh, advice of the consultants were, we want you to create two posters. We want to have a poster at the entrance where your employees walk in and a poster in your break room where everybody sits and, and has their lunch. And they said, well, we paid you all of this money for two posters. Why, why are you giving us that? And he said, because people forgot why they're producing the heart stents. Mm-hmm. What you haven't asked me is what's on the poster. And they said, okay, well, bite. what do you want us to put on the poster? Thinking it's going to be some slogan or something. I said, simply, we want you to go out and take pictures of people who have received your heart stent mm-hmm. and it saved their life. Yeah. And we'll take it one step further. Have any of your employees received a heart stent that helped save their life? And we want you to put those pictures up. And every day when people enter and leave and when they have lunch or, or their, their break, they're going to be remembered with the purposes of this company. It's to save lives. It's not to produce heart stents. Yeah. And that's what we do with the with the PMO, right? What is it the purpose of why we're doing these things? So to your point, when we connect as people, we identify purpose, right? I've run five marathons. You look at me today, you wouldn't know that, of course, because I'm out of shape. But I've run each of those marathons to raise money for a charity. Because I know if I didn't have a purpose of why to go run that marathon, I would never go run 26 miles and do the work necessary to go train for it. But when we attach ourselves to a purpose, we can do more than we ever dreamed we could achieve because we're now trying to accomplish a goal greater than ourselves. And that's what we do when we connect with teammates. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so pleased you brought that up because it's right in the heart of leadership. Yeah. Why are we doing something? Not That's just right. what 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 we're doing. I um in in my book of um I often talk about the the six human needs. This is actually an Anthony Robbins uh he talks a lot about the six human needs and their certainty, variety, growth, contribution and um connection is one of them and also significance. Obviously we can go into them, but the growth and contribution are the ones that we need to get to as leaders to really tap into that real drive in our our team members. People want to feel that they're growing, that they're learning, that they're moving forward. 
that's why some people will go and volunteer, even if they don't get a salary for it, because they're growing, they're learning. And people want to feel that they're contributing to something that's bigger than themselves. And I think when you see images of users using uh, what you produced in any field, then you're feeling that you're contributing. And the interesting thing about finance is that finance, especially after the financial crisis, it was a really bad word. If you were a banker, you were really evil. And and um, I must say, I've never been a banker. I was working in technology and finance. That, that's how <laughs> bad the image is, right? We, we, sure. Just... But people forget that even, even finance, even bankers, you know, if you're doing your job well, you're really contributing. You're contributing to small businesses, opening up, opening up their, you know, that the, the, the businesses and the dreams and making everything come true. It makes the um, the world go around. So reminding people exactly of that, the purpose, what they're contributing to is so important, really important. And too many people look down, they look at the, the tasks and the output instead of um, why we're doing it. Yeah, we uh, helped a company recently. They purchase homes uh, redo those homes and then offer them not for resale, but for people to rent who previously could only rent an apartment and they've never been able to own or rather rent a home. And I interviewed uh, 32 different people within their organization and I asked all of them, you know, so several questions which were consistent regardless of their role. And I asked them, why does your company exist? And only one person said to provide safety to people who previously felt unsafe where they lived. And I went back afterwards and asked the other 31 people, do you feel that your company does this? And every one of them lit up. Yes, that's exactly what we do. That is our purpose. That's why we exist. And, and again, mind you, we're trying to implement a PMO. But what we're trying to do is to get a PMO that is showing them that the projects they're doing are not to implement a CRM system or an accounting system or whatever it may be. It's to be able to provide safety to the single mother who is escaping an abusive relationship with two children who's never been able to have been in a home of her own. Yeah. And when you think that you're executing projects to do that, now you're building a PMO around purpose, right? Giving the, the organization and the people a, a cause of why they want to go forward. And that's why Again, with purpose-driven PMO, we're able to see stickiness better than we have in kind of the business-minded traditional PMO that's out mm. there. We're bringing the human element into the projects. And uh, I mean, if people could see us right now, they would they would know that none of us are millennials. But yes. I think it's <laughs> it's even more true for millennials and the younger generations that they they want that purpose, and they don't hesitate these days. They just swap jobs. I mean, they're not they don't have. Uh, we we may our generation probably is also not that loyal, but they're even less loyal. I mean, they a year in a company and maybe they they move on. I don't know what kind of retention rates you you have uh, personally in in your company. Yeah, I think we're we're a little bit stronger than that, primarily just because I think we've tried to internalize within our company what we preach to our clients, right? What's our purpose and give people a reason to want to stay with us and know. Right. We uh, sponsor and support veterans organizations because we want to give back to the community. Um, we do this radio show because we want to give back to the project management community. Uh, we partner with the local PMI chapters because we want to give back to the community. So we're trying to internalize the purpose uh, that we have, which is to empower people to deliver results. 
So we do that within our own organization as well to empower them to know what is the result you're looking for, and we will empower you to do that. Um, so we've had some pretty good success with that, I think. And have you used any tools? Now, now uh, I, I'm beginning to interview you here. Have you used any <laughs> tools to assess the strengths in your team or their personality types? Because obviously that's that's the kind of thing that that I'm also very interested in. You know, I we haven't formally done that, and we probably should, especially after having done all these radio shows. I've been exposed to so many different ones, whether it's Ruth Strength Finders or working with some of the emotional intelligence or change intelligence quotients that we've uh, been exposed to. A lot of the different guests we've had on have their own programs, and they've had me take the test personally. So when I talk to them, I, I can speak uh, with an educated mind. Um so your question makes me think what I should be doing a little bit better than I haven't. So I, yes, a note to self, uh, utilize some of these tools within our team as well. I think that's a great suggestion. And some of them, you know, there are so many out there and some of them are inexpensive or, or free. I mean, the DISC personality assessment, there, there are free versions, although with a little bit of just a small investment, you, 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 um, you get people's profile, they get a report sent to them based on some questions, which is quite fascinating. On, on one of the pro- leadership programs I'm running in Holland, we use a tool called Insights, which is a little bit more expensive, and it gives you a very extensive uh, report. And um, I think that 95, not everybody, 95% of people who get a report, they say, oh my God, how could they write that? How you how, how did they know? And we always ask them, did, did you show it to your to your spouse, mostly it's their wives, because in construction, they're mostly men who take this test in the program. And uh, yes, I showed it to my wife. What did she say? It's so like you. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable what, you know, um, what we get from, from, from those results. Yeah, absolutely. We did one, uh, we had a guest on, I guess it was a couple, probably about three, four months ago. And uh, I did that test and it said, here's the type of person you are or leader that you are. And I showed my wife and she said, I could have told you that without taking a test. Uh, but I but I didn't perceive myself to be that way, right? Even though she's reminded me many times, I think we go behave and work in, in our projects, in our leadership in a way that we, we eventually become comfortable in because that's kind of where we, we don't want to step outside of our normal box. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we take these exams and, and we understand how others perceive us, it then takes us out of that comfort zone and gives us an opportunity to grow, right? We never, again, what I've learned from other guests is we don't grow when we're within our comfort. We grow when we step outside those comfort zones. And I think as project managers, what we need to understand, right, is that's not just for us, the PM, but for our team members and how to take advantage of that. Yeah. And also the, I would say the role of giving feedback, because I may feel very comfortable being in, in my comfort zone. Of course, we would be that. But am I conscious of it? Am I aware of what you just said? I grow better when I'm being stretched a little bit. Some people, to some people, is natural, but to, to others, it's not. And oftentimes, we need a bit of feedback about what other people see us doing well and what where they feel that we can stretch or the areas where they feel we could do with improving some aspects. I'm trying to be very gentle with my language here because (laughs) feedback always has to be delivered in a way that is constructive and not kind of, 
oh, you bad at doing presentations. I mean, people are going to be mortified. Well, yeah, that takes me back to my uh, master's degree in communication, right? Uh, how did I end up a project manager? I'm supposed to be a communications expert. But we always, I shouldn't say always because then I'm overgeneralizing again, but generally communication is a two-way street, right? It's somebody communicating and somebody receiving the communication. We communicate, the, the communicators usually fail to recognize the message we're sending as being received. And we're supposed to be communicating how it's being received, right? So we don't account for how the person's going to receive the message. And we think, well, that's just the person I am. Well, the way we should attack that is who's the person receiving and my message should change based on them, not them adjusting to the message I'm trying to send. Mm. Um, and, and as project managers, right, I think that's something that Again, why Ruth and others who have these evaluations to learn our team members, because when I have to give a message, it may be a consistent message to five different people, but if those five different people are receiving it differently, did I do my job communicating it? Yeah, yeah. Which actually the saying about treat people the way you want to be treated yourself. Well, is that so true? Uh, It's better to say treat people the way they want to be treated because you're quite right. Adaptive leadership is all about trying to understand. We can't we can't fully understand others. Of course, we're not in their head, but trying to understand what's going on for them, trying to understand what's important to them. Some people like feedback very directly, and in some cultures are very direct. I work with the Dutch a bit, and they're unbelievably direct. And other people are needed to be much more gentle. And and you just hint at something, and and they think that they they're a disaster. So to those people, we need to be very clear on what they're doing amazingly well and just point out one area where we think they might improve. And so, so yes, we definitely need to adapt uh, our styles. But also, I think it's for people themselves to ask for feedback. I don't know if you have formal feedback methods in, in, uh, in your company, but I always encourage people to go out and ask just three questions. What should I continue to do? What should I stop doing? And what should I start doing? Because we've got to be able to to hear to hear the truth, and I don't mean that in a cruel way. Because if you ask ten people, you're going to get ten different answers. But if we don't know what other people are, how other people are perceiving us, how can we how can we change anything? How how can we? Yeah, I think it's it's vital to understand uh, and get the feedback. Well, yeah, I, I I think back to early in my career when I was just um, starting out to become a leader. I was in a leadership development program, and the uh, program at the end of each year was a three-year program, and at the end of each year, you would get a 360 evaluation. The main thing that has stayed with me from that first evaluation was I was lacking in managerial courage. And I had always been, again, a a successful employee, an athlete before. I never felt as if I ever had a problem with managerial courage, right? I didn't know what that meant at the time, but heck, I was willing to do anything. I was courageous. I could go run through a wall if you asked me to. But what I didn't know until I got the feedback is what managerial courage actually meant as a leader. And in those uh, that that feedback, which many could have taken to be negative, actually ended up probably helping me grow my career faster, because it helped me understand where my deficiencies were, and it was something that I could improve upon. Right? It, it, it didn't it didn't take much energy for me to 
you know, take it to the next level. But I wouldn't if I didn't understand. If nobody gave me that feedback, I never would have known. Oh, it makes me think of a very similar story. My, um, you know, imagine I was on my journey. I was studying coaching. I think maybe I'd already finished, you know, the maybe I already got the diploma. I, I can't remember exactly. But it was year-end review, and my manager, who knew me quite well, he was giving me an evaluation. It was black and white. It's one of those from one to five. And I think there were a number of different uh, parameters. And one of them was obviously, are you delivering on time, or how good are you at certain things? But the one I remember that stood out, because they were all they were all spot on, apart from one of them. And the one that had a very low grade was people management. And I got so angry at him. I'm like... You evaluate me great on all these project management skills, but my 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 manage my management skills, my people leadership skills, you've given a rock bottom grade. How can you do that? I was in te- I was not in tears, but I was I was <laughs> not happy. And he looked at me and he said, Suzanne, you don't understand. You're doing so you got the black belt and everything, but this is the area you need to focus on, and this is how I can get your attention. <laughs> yeah. And boy, did he succeed in getting my attention. So um, that was very effective. Yeah, there's uh, so much that we can learn when we listen, right? And when we get feedback from others. And that, it makes me wonder, right, as a as a coach, what, what are some of the other topics that you get, right? What are the people come to you? What do they want need improvement on? What can people benefit from uh, in this informal radio interview coaching session that we have going on here? So I think what's interesting is what people come with and present is not necessarily what the real issues are, because people rarely come and say, I have low self-esteem, or at least that's not what they present initially. So many, many people, unfortunately, uh, suffer from imposter syndrome, and it plays out in their relationships with the teams, with stakeholders. They don't have strong boundaries around what they say yes to and what they say no to because they, they, they're they really worried about falling out with people. They're worried about not being good enough. So they overwork themselves and to their detriment. And it is also one of the causes of stress. And it's a big cause of stress. Uh, and actually, there are certain personality types, personality types that uh, really value the, the relationship rather than getting things done, who are very keen to please. It's not necessarily linked to low self-esteem, but but sometimes they they play themselves out in, in in the same way. That's an interesting one. Oh, that's your dog there. And please and please, we get yes. some evidence of your one of your four dogs. <laughs> well, and I I guess that's the benefit of coaching, right? Is when we think or or perhaps we don't think we have something to improve upon, we may not be willing to admit that openly, but through the coaching. And what you're able to do with these people, you help extract some of the benefits of that. You know what? I have people, it's a very, very privileged position to be a coach. I have people share things with me that they haven't shared with many other people. I I obviously hold that carefully. With coaching, it's amazing to see the differences that the changes that happen in in people's lives. Because coaching, the coaching I do, you know, they they may initially come with some project related stuff. And most of the people I coach are, they're all project managers in, in one shape or form they they work in change management they come with those issues but that's never where it ends it always becomes more holistic because if they have difficulty setting boundaries or difficulty saying no it will play out in all parts of their lives 
And the other thing that often happens is uh, in the coaching, it's relationships, relationship with stakeholders, relationships with team members. Why do my team members not do? Why don't they take responsibility? Why don't they do as I tell them or whatever it is? And, and that's never the issue. The issue is always more we, we hold up the mirror and we look at well, what's what's happening inside of you? What are your own beliefs? Because oftentimes the external world is a mirror of the internal world. And it's it's fascinating. It's also very scary because it means that whenever we point fingers and something isn't working, we've got to point the finger back at ourselves. Not the finger, because there's so many people beating themselves up, but curiosity and looking at why why is this happening? How come my team members are doing this or not doing that? How come I have bad relationships with all of my stakeholders? How come I'm being taken advantage of? Or people are taking advantage of me? How come? There are patterns. Yeah, I, I early in my career, again, I, I think back one piece of advice is someone said, whenever you point a finger at somebody, remember, you've got three pointing back at you. Oh, I like that. That's so, very good. So three times the effort that you're asking them to put in, you need to self-reflect and ask them why you're pointing at them. Ask, yeah. your, ask yourself why you're pointing at somebody else. And again, all of these different, again, it was uh, coaches and, and mentors have been so instrumental in my career. And that's just one of those tidbits I've picked up over time. Um, but another one I've picked up is time management. And as I look at the clock, we're uh, closing in here on an hour. So our show is winding up and it went by so fast. So I, I guess a, a last question I have for you is how can people get in touch with you? Anything else you want to share before we head out today? Uh, in these crazy times we're dealing with, obviously it's stressful and you've provided some really great insight to everybody. If they want to reach you after the show and, and get in touch with you, how can they do that? Yeah, I just want to say that I have an enormous amount of content. Uh, a person once said to me, you've got too much content on your website. I'm like, how can that be? <laughs> you know, if people don't want it, you know, click away. But I've got uh, videos, short videos on YouTube, like three, four minute long. I've got uh, webinars. There's a full hour long webinar on stress management. It's all recorded. It's all available on YouTube with, with my name, Suzanne.Madsen, S-U-S-A-N-N-E-M-A-D-S-E-N. That's kind of my handle on, on everything. Twitter at Suzanne Matson. My, you know, my my website, SuzanneMatson.com. But there's a lot on Twitter. I have also on my website, I have um, I have resources that are free. I used to have people register and they went onto a mailing list. You know what? I've deleted the whole mailing list because it was just, I don't know. People can just access all the resources on my website without even leaving their name. So that's my way of giving back. And then, of course, there is the book, uh, which is now out in the second edition, The Power Project Leadership. Yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of it because writing the second edition allowed me to put in all the stuff I've been working on for the last five years and all, all the good stuff we're using in our leadership program. So, um, so that's kind of, I think that answers your question. Yes, well, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for... Um, the contributions that you're making to our industry. I think people who are working to help us as people are going to improve our profession more than textbooks on how to do processes the right way. Because after all, we are a people-driven profession. So thank you so much for what you're doing for all of us. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a, a treat to get to know you a little bit better. 
Um, my ask, of course, is that you stay safe there in the UK. Hopefully get through this pandemic as quickly as we can for everybody. Yeah, thank you, Joe, and likewise. And uh, I really appreciate the conversation. Well, thank you. Well, that's it. Uh, thank you to our listeners. Uh, a reminder that these shows are recorded. So please be sure to subscribe to Project Management Office Hours, the podcast, which is available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, whatever your podcast platform of choice is. Thank you to our sponsors, the PMO Squad. Visit uh, www.thepmosquad.com to learn more about all of their services. And that's it for now. Office hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours.